All right, we are fresh off the airplane, back to give you episode 21, ISSCR 2014. I am Dr. Christopher Fasano. He is Dr. Yosef Gannat, and this is the Stem Cell Podcast. What up, Yos? Uh, well, it was good to see you in person again, uh, freshly back here in New York. How, how was your flight back? Everything back was great, uh, on time, made it back okay. I'm sure you had... Yos, uh, Yos is moving in the process of moving, so he had a bunch of stuff to get. How's that stuff going? Everything's moving smoothly? Yeah, I'm finally a homeowner, so uh, that's, a, that's a good feeling. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of work, but uh, you know, just trucking along. It'll be a slow, slow bleed as, <laughs> as I think of it. So um, uh, I'm looking forward to whether I get an invite or not. I'm going to crash your warming, housewarming party and, and uh, be there. So uh, right. <laughs> you'll love, see me at your new spot pretty soon. I'd love to have you. So uh, let's talk about Vancouver, man. Man, those are some great interviews we have. We got about uh, 75 minutes of uh, great uh, material, about three days summed up into one podcast. So I'm excited to uh, play this today for everybody. Um, what are your thoughts about everything? Yeah, so we're not going to do a roundup on this episode just because we have too much material. Uh, so first thing I want to do, and Yosef and I want to thank uh, the ISSCR, the International Society for Stem Cell Research, uh, for putting on such a great meeting and uh, making the allowing the podcast to be a part of it, and then we also want to thank uh, Life Technologies Thermo Fisher for uh, providing the podcast with a booth and giving us a forum to interview. Which uh, people was really funny. People were watching us interview people like, "Who the hell? What are these guys? <laughs> who are these guys talking to?" So uh, hopefully, we brought a lot of visibility to the podcast and. Uh, get some more uh, guests. We, like Yosef said, we did a bunch of great interviews. I thought the meeting was really good. I really did. I thought there was a, you'll hear, you'll hear this reiterated from the interviewees, that there was a little bit more of a, a smell of translation. So a lot more clinical talk, which is nice to see that discoveries are on their way, hopefully out to help patients. There was uh, really good posters, uh, some good talks. You know, there was a lot of already published data, Yosef, which kind of annoys me a bit. Um, you know, people get up there and talk about uh, their their published work rather than unpublished. Although this might be a good time for me to tell everybody that uh, uh, Paul Tizar from the uh, Case Western University, who will be our next guest on the next episode, uh, he actually tweeted out because uh, he's big on Twitter there that all of his all of his uh, the work from his lab being presented at the meeting would be all unpublished data. So mm. I thought that was cool, yeah. uh, someone willing to open up the book and just show them their new data because that's really how we you know, foster collaboration. So uh, I, I hope to see more of that, but I thought it was a good meeting. I, overall, I thought it was good. Uh, yeah. I, Vancouver was beautiful. Did you like Vancouver? Yeah, I had a great time. You know, I stayed with a friend for most of it, and uh, you know, I, it's a great city. I don't know what else to say. I just really enjoyed you know, the weather and how clean it was and the food and uh it seemed like a good place to go so uh i i look forward to going back there sometime but uh so for yeah. everybody out there who was there if you were there let us know your thoughts we talk about them just email us tweet us at stem cell podcast stem cell podcast at gmail.com or on facebook just let us know what you think but uh, i think for the sake of the uh uh, you know, the material we have and the length, uh, like Joseph said, we got 75 minutes worth. We're just going to shut up. That's something <laughs> yeah. we, we don't do very easily, but we're going to shut up here. Right, Yos, we don't have anything else to say, I think. Yeah, we have such uh, a wide spectrum of in interviews to get into. I mean, from high school students to tenure professors. So uh, it, let, let's just get right into it. What do you all say? All right, let's let it roll. Enjoy, everybody. All right. So we're recording live from the ISSCR 2004. This is so cool, man. <laughs> we have a crowd of people in front of us. We're recording live from the podcast. We have our first 
Wow, I'm real loud on that. Yeah, you, I could turn gonna, you down. So the audience is going to have to deal with our bugs as we work out a live podcast. So our first guest for this show is Lauren... Dobashok. Dobashok. And you are from... Tell us everyone where you're from. I'm from Maple Ridge, BC, so about 45 minutes out of Vancouver. Just make sure you speak into the mic. Sorry. I'm yeah. from Maple Ridge, BC. Awesome. So um, so I noticed you got, you, you, your group right in front of us is laughing at you as we do this interview. <laughs> you look very young. So tell us your stem cell story. What are you doing at this meeting? Where are you from and so forth? Your school and all those things. Well, I'm a grade 11 student, and my stem cell story started out with step, uh, the Stem Cell Talks event at UBC, which is kind of an event designed to educate high school students about stem cells. And since the ISSCR was hosted in Vancouver this year, they held an essay contest, which and the, and the topic was why I want to go to ISSCR. And me and the people standing in front of me are the finalists. And wow. so we won a pass to come to the ISSCR and bestow our wisdom upon so do you have your essay memorized no (laughs) you're not going to recite it for us live sadly no so you're just finalist you don't know who's going to be the winner oh you all won yeah but four winners that's what i'm talking about yost where were we back in the day there was only ever one winner yeah Uh, i know well part of the prize is that we have or part of the duty we have is that we have to write a blog post about our experience here at the ISSCR and then it's going to be posted on letstalkscience.ca as well as the Signals blog. So it's letstalkscience.ca so you guys should check that out and you should blog about the Stem Cell Podcast. Will you guys include that in your blog? Yes. And I'm also live blogging the ISSCR at Lauren Doby on Twitter. Dude, look at this girl. Completely wow. <laughs> promoting wow. We gotta hire this girl. Yeah. <laughs> That's, yeah, L-A-U-R-E-N-D-O-B-I. You should follow me. So uh, do you want to go into stem cell science as a career, possibly? I think so. I know I want to go into the field of biology research, but I'm not completely sure yet. I'm hoping I'm doing a science fair project next year, so I'm hoping to find a mentor, maybe in the field of stem cells, to do my next research project on. Cool. Very cool. Yeah, great. Uh, any particular disease you want to look into or...? What diseases do it for you? I don't you? know. I'm, I'm kind of interested in the cardiology aspect of stem cells. Cool. Excellent. We just Excellent. heard some stuff on that. They gave the plenaries this morning. Yeah, at the presidential address. They were very, very there. cool. <laughs> they had some uh, big, name, big name speakers up there. I so noticed some people sleeping around me. There were always people <laughs> sleeping. Yeah. Always. You, you can I have, was awake. You can have the most interesting thing going on. Someone always passes yeah. out. Okay. I, was, I was attentive. So you're 17, 18? I'm 16. Wow. She's the youngest so guest on the podcast. That's the future of stem cell right science. Here. So yeah, right here. Yeah, nice. Lauren Dobashak. Did I say that right? Yes. All well, right. thank you for being uh, brave enough to come on to the show and be you're our welcome. first guest. <laughs> Good luck with everything. Congratulations on being a finalist. Enjoy the rest of the meeting. Yeah, thank you. No problem. Okay. Okay, so we're back, and it looks like we're uh, moving up the age group slowly. That was weird. Yeah, we had a 17-year-old uh, <laughs> high school student. Just come by. And uh, now we're joined by Muhammad. Is it Gati? Gati. 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 Yeah. Okay. And uh, Muhammad won the IP. Why don't you tell us what you won? Okay. So, um, you guys, I'm not sure if you guys are aware of uh, Dr. Paul Knopfler's website. He has a, a stem cell blog. And on his blog, he held this uh, essay competition. And you just write a 300 word essay. I guess it's a paragraph, not so much of an essay. And uh, you submit it to him, and he picks the top winner. And it's a free, it's an all paid uh, registration. Uh, to the to the conference, and I guess I won. So so that's pretty awesome, and we know that uh, uh, Dr. Knopfler has a very active blog. We had yeah, him on the show, show. ipsl.com. I think yeah. that's where it is. 
Um, and I imagine that they must have got a bunch. So that's an awesome thing. Congratulations, man. That's Thank really you. Great. I know. It's, it are, is you, an honor. are you enjoying it so far? It's uh, it just started, I know. But I mean, how's the experience been yeah. so far? So far, it's it's pretty overwhelming for someone as, uh, as, as I guess, as young as me to the field. Uh, it's a lot of information. It's, it's, it's amazing. I feel like anyone who's, uh, who's into stem cells or science, even the general public, should definitely stop by and show up and learn a few new things and meet people. So, yeah. Yeah, so why don't you tell us about yourself? Uh, what are you currently doing? Uh, I know you're from Canada, but that's all about I know. So. Yeah, okay. So uh, I've recently graduated this uh, this year. Congratulations. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you, thank right. you. And I'll be starting my master's with uh, Dr. Greg Kelly at Western University in Canada. Uh, I don't know the exact uh, project as of yet. It'll be um, probably something to do with uh, wind signaling, hopefully. So it's uh, not really stem cells. It's uh, more uh, developmental biology. But still, I'm you know glad to be here. Well, stem cells is developmental biology in my book, Absolutely. so yeah. that definitely counts. And wind signaling, there's really not. Yeah. Joseph and I were just in a talk. We were just looking at each other like, what doesn't wind do? <laughs> yeah. yeah, from you know? hematopoietesis to you know everything from dopamine neurons to skin. It's to, at the center of it all. Yeah, you block right. wind, hair, add wind. Yeah, a little bit of wind here, yeah, take wind. it away. Yeah, so you listen to the podcast? Absolutely, religiously, if I may say so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's. Uh, I think everyone should, like I said, from scientists to, I guess, university students. If you're in, it would, it would help if you're obviously in science, but nonetheless, you should always listen to it and learn a few things. Yeah. Well, well, yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for listening. Yeah, and I have to say your enthusiasm is contagious, man. I know. <laughs> I'm all excited talking to him right now. Uh, well, you know, I guess if you have do you have anything else you want to say, you want to ask us some questions or anything um, like that. I mean, you, you any got the rants floor. of your own? Where yeah, we're taking you want to rant about? Get off your chest. Uh, what do you think? Not so much rants. Maybe I'll just comment on the whole thing. I mean, I, I want to thank you guys for you know taking the time off. You guys are busy and with your lab and your research to take the time to run your podcast. I mean, I can. I feel comfortable to speak on behalf of everyone who listens to you guys. I mean, we're thankful for what you guys are oh, doing. Well, thank you. And that, keep it up. So, thank yeah. you. That means a lot because yeah. uh, it is it is a bunch of work, and we don't really think about that as long as we hear those kind of yeah. uh, responses. So yeah, definitely. that means a lot. Appreciate it. So enjoy the, uh, enjoy the rest of the yeah. conference, man. Good meeting you, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Yeah. All right. See you. All right. We're so going now. we're hey. here now. We're going live. We have the uh, world-famous Stuart Chambers. Look, he introduced himself. Yes. Stuart That's Chambers. How That's all you got to say. <laughs> Dr. Stuart do. Chambers. Uh, currently with Lorenz Studer. I, we, we, we've crossed paths. Probably uh, the most cited uh, article from the Studer lab, I would think. So if anyone out there dual is generating... SMAD. Dual SMAD. If anyone out there is generating neural cells from pluripotent stem cells, you're probably using this protocol. So this is the lead man. So, Stu James, welcome. What's up, Thank man? you. Thank you. Yeah, it's great to be here. We probably should have had you on sooner. That's all right. This, but, no hurry. Uh, better late than never, as they say. Um, better so, any time. So, so... Tell us your stem cell story, sir. Like, where, what are you doing currently? I mean, what what's, am I doing? what's your research focused around? Like, what are your plans? What do you got yeah. cooking? Yeah, we're you know we're looking on a few things, trying to figure out ways to mature neurons. That's one thing I'm working on. So, um, maturing neurons meaning for people out there. So, uh, as as you as you differentiate them, they go through this progression. So, you're trying to get them to the more further fate. So, that yeah. So, so we talk about you know a certain channel expression. So a good example for sensory neurons would be uh, TRPV1. It's a capsaicin receptor. Spicy food. Spicy yep. food. That's right. So it doesn't turn on until, you know, 120 days in the culture dish. And oh, I was it thinking earlier. it turns on when I get to the uh, Indian place after this. Well, it does that too, but that's because <laughs> that's you're an adult, you know? So no one wants to wait 120 days. No one, want, yeah. no one wants to wait 120 days. Yeah. You, want, you want to try to get these phenotypes earlier. So how do we do that, right? Hmm. So I would think some DAPT. 
Some dapt. Some dapt. Yeah. Might push the stem cells out, but it doesn't really push the neurons along, right? Uh-huh. Maybe. Maybe. So, so, so the point along. is really to come up with a culture system that will allow you to get your endpoint cell quicker. Yes. Without right. sacrificing right. the quality of the cell, right. I'm assuming. And, and we're really looking at this across multiple neuron subtypes. So mm-hmm. we, want, we don't want to focus so much on sensory neurons per se, but also look at midbrain dopamine, cortical neurons, etc. We want to try to find a, a global means to, to accelerate maturation because people are focused, people are looking at different neuron subtypes for different disease models, for instance. And it'd be nice to, to tell them, here's how you can speed up your process. Here's how you can get achieve mature phenotypes more quickly. Because, you know, disease modeling is more often than not modeling adult diseases. Uh, so you want the adult cell. Mm. Makes sense. And yeah. uh, so in the past, you did uh, you developed what we call in the lab studuction or LSB protocol, the dual SMAD inhibition. And uh, so now you're working on not only so that rapidly turns stem cells into the towards the neural pathway. Um, and now you're trying to enhance that even more and turn those neural stem cells into neurons, mature neurons, as quickly as possible. So, so the way I kind of pitched it to Lorenz is that it's a three-part arc to my mm. postdoctoral story. Okay. Uh, the first arc is that we made more efficient and more rapidly induced neuralization. Mm-hmm. And then with the second sensory neuron paper, we were able to accelerate onset of uh, the differentiation of That's the neuron. That's the Nature Biotech? The other Nature Biotech, yep. yeah, yeah. Um, and so that's that's kind of the the second phase, and now the third phase is to find something to uh, accelerate neuron maturation as well. So just a quick story um, at the at the beginning of that uh, dual smad story, Stuart got to the lab, and I was there for I don't know what six months or something, maybe three months. No, six. Right. Yeah, and Stuart was sitting behind me. You didn't think you had your desk yet? I, I had and, nothing. And Stuart, <laughs> his he, he had a. Uh, I think he had a project that was not. That wasn't the project. The project needed neural cells, right, but the right. project wasn't to generate neural cells. We were doing it in a different way. We were using feeder cells, MS fives or PA six stromal. You put your ES cells on top of these cells, and they magically turn into neural. But it was CEDA, was it the stromal? Yeah, induced, but it was like a crappy efficiency stromal, like, and it yeah. depended on the feeder. So. Stuart, I remember it was like, this, you know, we were like, this, this, this sucks. This sucks, man. <laughs> There's got to be a better way. And then how quickly after that? It was like within the year, right? Less. Well, so, so I was it in the lab for a month fast. before we figured out dual SMAD. And then it was a matter of working it up for another eight months yep. to get the paper ready to, to submit. And then the paper was, it, it probably was one of the most complete, you know, I don't want to say there was really nothing you could argue about because you could always could, but it was so evident that this that this protocol was going to be value. Uh, it went into NBT, Nature Biotech, and came out real soon. So, yeah, uh, yeah was, and it really was sort of the first stone that led to the Nature article in 2011. So yep. the first there was yeah. the dual SMAD, then there was your the paper, Chris, paper. with the yep. floor plate, and then there was Jay and Sonia's. Yep. Yep. And now uh, all of my went. subsequent work in my lab is based off of that protocol. And so, um, you know... It's it like the MPTX story. Yeah, the MPTX yeah. and the cortical story that's coming out. I think so. We, you know, I have. Uh, it was a good. It was a good cross crossing of paths between Stuart and I. And we, uh, I was glad to help contribute to that story. And uh, um, so, tell us now, like your plans. You're in Lorenz, and you're you're out shopping around. Yeah, yeah, looking for jobs. Um, it'd be nice to to to, to land a faculty position. Um, you know, I also have to. Uh, Worker, it's a little bit of a two-body problem, you could say. My wife also has a career, so I have to work around that to some degree. 
Um, Anesthesiologist, right? Yeah. yeah. A pain doctor. Pain of doctor. Sort. So you got nice. a pain doctor and a and you're generating sensory you're generating nociceptors. Exactly. So it'd be interesting that. to kind of look for collaboration areas <laughs> of interaction between her and her colleagues and, and what I'm doing now. Well, uh, so I guess if you guys haven't seen his work, you should check it out. PubMed it, Google it, Chambers S M. S M, yeah, Chambers S M. Just put stem cells in there and you'll get them all. Stu Chames. Yeah, we wish you all the best of luck. The one and only. Uh, good luck, man. You're expecting Thanks, a baby soon, yep. and uh, we September. wish you all the best with that. Yeah, good luck and, with everything. Uh, Thanks. Thanks. Good luck on the job market. All right, man. All right. Okay, so we have another guest here. His name is Faizan Ahmed, and he is joining us from Qatar, or Qatar. Uh, there's some controversy on how to say the country's name. <laughs> we, were, we were trying to figure out how to say it, <laughs> and uh, we want to get them on because uh, they're, you know, uh, they have a collaboration with Cornell to, uh, and they're rapidly expanding their sciences there. And uh, he's sort of like my my point person for this. Uh, so what, why don't you tell us about what's going on in Qatar? Uh, so uh, <coughs> I flew in from Doha to Vancouver. It's really nice here. How long was that trip, by the way? That trip is flight time, 20 hours at Eww. least. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they're, they're, they're beginning to do a lot of good work in, in, in Qatar. Um, basically, we're funded by the Qatar Foundation, which is responsible for the country's education and research initiative. Um, and so they have... They have priority research uh, aims to to be able to fund and establish uh, centers of excellence. Um, I particularly work at the Qatar Cardiovascular Research Institute, uh, working on uh, establishing their stem cell facility as it relates to to cardiovascular disorders. Um, aside from that, they're they're really investing heavily on a number of uh, different areas. And I think the projected plan over the next five to ten years is to recruit 600 scientists, um, and hopefully some of you will be wow. joining us. Wow! So they so they went they went all in on stem cells, huh? They're in. I mean, there's no debate there. Like yeah, they, they no. really believe in them and think they're going to be the new wave. That's right. They do. They do. Um, they they've definitely gone all in. Uh, in, in in terms of the ethics of it, uh, even human embryonic stem cells. Uh, I'd say Qatar is one of the more progressive countries in thinking that it's uh, <coughs> it's it's ethically doable. And uh, one of the things about Qatar that I've, I've heard, at least through the grapevine, is how well uh, they treat the scientists in terms of the amenities and uh, funding. And uh, I think, uh, you know, that's a really attractive, you know, because it seems like such a big move to go... To leave right. from, say, the states to or anywhere else to come right. uh, to Qatar, which not you know isn't you know widely known right. uh, for its sciences, but in terms of funding, I think you guys are really have the best environment for um, funding right now. It's it seems like no, absolutely. They, I mean, the amount of funding that they have obviously uh, piques a lot of scientists' interest in order to moving there or at least collaborating with us. Um, and again, they take care of you in the sense that they provide. I mean, I think they provide housing and and a car allowance, and they they really do take care of you in terms of initially showing you how to get around. Um, but I mean, in terms of funding, we go through some of the similar funding agencies that would sort of be prototypical of the NIH. Hmm. Uh, most of what's reviewed actually are 
members from the NIH committee that get scored, um, and then we, but we have a little bit more money to play with than most other countries, so we're fortunate for that. See, I think one of the one of the things you always say is, if you can just let scientists be smart and take their ideas and do science, everyone would be in a better position. But unfortunately, most of the time we, we're worried about writing grants and trying to find the money. So if you have a place that has at least enough money where they can let the scientists be comfortable in their ideas and do what they do, I feel like you're a lot, you're, you're going to, you're, you're more likely to get a very good discovery to come out of that, right? Because a lot of it in the States is just, I need to do an experiment to get enough preliminary data to get my next grant. We're very, we've become very conservative in our science and we don't have mm. a lot of high risk, kind of high risk, high reward studies because we don't have the money for that. So I imagine a culture where I'm not saying the money is endless, but where it's right. sufficient to the point where you can do some things, like take a bunch of risk, that, that that probably is a little more gratifying. It certainly is. I mean, I mean, it's it's, it's not to say that there aren't hurdles in, in Doha. Obviously, we're we're sort of removed from from the the scientific centers of the world, mm. like when either it's Vancouver, Toronto, New York, Boston, or, right? You know, or Oxford, right? We're, we're sort 20 of hour plane from. rides away, right? Exactly, right. exactly, exactly. But to, to talk about the co- the collaboration with Cornell, I mean, so where is that? How did that start? I mean, what what is that? How did that get that forged? That, so, that? so Cornell's collaboration with it's it's really with Cutler Foundation, and what they did was they uh, they there was a need that they didn't have a medical school in the, in the country of Qatar, and so uh, they were approached by Cornell, and they've. They've, they now have a full-fledged medical school. They've had it for a while now. Uh, their research arm was sort of the second arm that they started building on, and that's what they're currently building on right now. Um, so essentially we have a we have a Wall Cornell Medical College in Qatar. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. So great. And then so now the medical school is established and uh, the second phase is the research phase. And so Correct. you said something like three to five hundred scientists over the next five years, five to ten years, five to ten plan. years. Yeah. So uh, anyone want to head out there, uh, you can look for phase <laughs> on. Yeah, uh, you got to starting. Give out your, I can uh, say the starting. Say, just Google his name. The starting salaries are very generous. I could say that much. And they also mm-hmm. give you housing and like you said, right. a car allowance. And uh, what's the temps out there like? What's the weather? It's a it's a balmy. Well, the weather it's is a hot. cool. Hundred Fahrenheit. <laughs> it's a cool hundred and twenty Fahrenheit. Uh, <laughs> see, that's day. cool. I'm totally good with that. <laughs> I'll get a nice tan. No, no, the, 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 it, it's really hot, obviously, from May to August ish. September maybe, but from literally from from October all the way to to March April, it's it's really nice. It's in the eighties. No, it's um, nice. Yeah. Cool. It's better than our yeah. December and January. In but New York but State. I mean, in, in, without w- with that said, the the air conditioning is is phenomenal. <laughs> 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 it keeps our cells cool enough to to survive. And <laughs> well, um, good luck with everything, man. Thanks for coming on the yeah, show. Uh, and thank uh, you. Thank you're like you. a world traveler. Be careful yeah, out we there. Kn- we, we know you from the NICEF days when you were at the New York the Stem NICEF. Cell Foundation. What about the Sloan Kettering days? And day? that too, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, Faison. Faison. And he's been, I, I I've seen Faison in multiple phases. Faison <laughs> was a grad student in my lab before he got this job and left me <laughs> with uh, a project to fill. So. Uh, he just left me. No loons. hard feelings. <laughs> no hard feelings. It, it was a pleasure to work with him. <laughs> Thanks, man. I mean, it was same, same, same for me as well. I, I, all I care is to see. Honest, this is not like to be because you're sitting next to me. <laughs> all I care for all students and for all people is to see that they made a choice 
and they're happy with it and it's working out for them. If that's the case, there's really nothing right. you can say. So no, no, thank congrats you. on that, man. Keep it going and uh, make sure you uh, come back and visit us on the podcast sometime. Always, always. All right, man. Thanks. All right, so we're continuing here recording live from the uh, ISSCR conference uh, in Vancouver, and our guest right now is Jeffrey Millman. From, he's a postdoc in Doug Melton's lab at the Harvard Stem Cell Institute. Welcome, Jeff. Ah, thank you for having me. No problem. How's it going? How's your uh, first day at ISSCR experience? Well, it's been a very exciting time here. I'm still trying to figure out. This is a very big room we're in right now. Have you walked around it so far? It's a big room. <laughs> it's a big room. It's like engulfing. I feel like, you know, I get like sucked into all these places. So we're trying to uh, suck people over to our booth, and we got Jeff here on the microphone. Jeff will be giving a talk. When is your talk? It's on Friday. Friday. So... Give a little background to, um, I think a lot of people know uh, Dr. Melton, and he's one of the godfathers of the, of the field. So give us, a little, uh, give us a little something about what you do in the lab there, what your project's about. So I work with a lot of other uh, postdocs, grad students, and undergraduates to um, try to figure out how to make functional insulin-producing beta cells from human ESLs and iPS cells. This has obvious implications for diabetes, is that right? Correct. Right. So the idea would be if we're able to actually make these cells in vitro, we could either transplant them into diabetic patients to cure them, or we can use them as a source material to screen for new drugs and compounds that could ideally be able to prevent diabetes in the first place. And have you always uh, been in the stem cell world, or is this a new endeavor for you? Or No, I've been doing it uh, since my PhD also. I used to do uh, cardiomyocytes, but um, Doug gave me an offer I couldn't refuse, so now I've been a postdoc in the lab for three years now. So where did you do your PhD at? Uh, over at MIT. Okay, nice. So nice. Not in the biology department. I'm actually a chemical engineer by training. Okay, yeah. nice. Well, I'm seeing a lot of those uh, chemical engineer and. Uh, biomedical engineer foray and, and coming into the stem cells. I think it's a good marriage, too, because a lot of things are, are uh, you know, it's a cellular engineering, really, if you think about it, you know, getting taking a cell to another cell type or uh, engineering its development. So uh, how many people in Doug's lab? Oh, wow, that's a good question. We're constantly in flux. I think we have about... 15 postdocs now and about oh. five grad students and then an unknown number of undergraduates. That's it's always hard. Much, I would imagine to be more than that. Uh, uh, we're not. Have, <laughs> you know, I've always said, uh, you, you think of Doug, I, I would, I'm thinking like 50 people and if, yeah, 40 postdocs, like an army in there. But that's not that's not really the case. 15 is pretty big, though. No, it is a big lab, of course, mm-hmm. but I'm not, yeah. not massive uh, army status or something yeah. like that. So uh, tell us, uh, give us a little preview of your talk tomorrow. Uh, on Friday. Oh, sorry, Friday. <laughs> yeah, well, I've already <laughs> lost track get, of the day. Yeah, yeah. I have good advertising, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah so uh, this is actually where my engineering comes into play. I've been uh, working on a uh, scalable method. Uh, so we have a system now, a uh, suspension culture bioreactor system, where we can make about half a billion cells per batch. Mm-hmm. And of that, about uh, almost 40% of the cells seem to be fully functional beta cells. And okay. we've been able to, so this is very, very large scale, to give you a sense, one or two of these flasks is theoretically enough to cure one human of diabetes. And uh, these are full of human ES cell-derived cells that um, essentially, do you have a reporter or? Uh, we have a, a whole lot of assays that we're using here. We're doing both um, embryonic stem cells and induced pluripotent stem cells, both from uh, non-diabetic individuals and diabetic individuals. Okay. And uh, we look for uh, the, their ability to function in vitro and in vivo. By that, I mean um, a beta cell. The, probably the number one characteristic of a beta cell is the ability to secrete higher levels of insulin mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. um, when exposed to higher levels of glucose. So okay. when you eat that Snickers bar, your mm-hmm. pancreatic beta cells sense the higher level of glucose in your blood. It releases more insulin. The cells see the insulin and reduces your blood, sh- uh, blood glucose back down to normal levels. So how do you put a uh, Snicker bar in the flask? <laughs> we just use um, we just so use a uh, machine. No. <laughs> pure glucose. Or what do you, what that, do you that might be an interesting uh, proof of concept, I suppose. <laughs> we, 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 we just have a uh, dextrose that we put into okay. the cell culture media. Okay. You buy it from Sigma or any other company, really. Okay. Uh, not not a not a ground up Snickers bar. <laughs> so, do you in the bioreactor? Do you? Are you doing the differentiation in there? Or are you just moving over the islets in the bioreactor and expanding them? In other words, you know, are you d- so obviously they come from the pluripotent stem cells at the beginning. Yes. Is that whole process done in the reactor and you end up with an endpoint of islets, or do you do you kind of move the endpoint over in the reactor to expand them? Well, we uh, we first start off. First, the cells have to be derived. Um, we do that just regular petri culture, two dimensional okay. culture. But we, uh, as soon as we derive, I, I in particular work mostly on the iPS cell front. So after we make the iPS cells, we move rapidly to. Um, uh, being able to grow the undifferentiated IPS cells and expand them in the uh, bioreactor system. Okay. So we could actually do that for many, many, many passages, culture the undifferentiated ES and IPS cells there. Um, we can also, depending on what factors we put into the bioreactor, induce them to differentiate in the bioreactor also. So the whole system works in the bioreactor. So we have a protocol. It takes over a month, actually, to give them the proper uh, temporal uh, combination of factors to take them from growing in these clusters of about a thousand ES or IPS cells over the clusters of about a thousand to almost five thousand in some cases um, uh, cells that are pancreatic in nature and again about 40 percent of these seem to be uh, beta cells. So when you do everything like that in the in the reactor there do you have to then worry about contaminating IPS cells or ES cells? In other words you know you, you get a complete conversion like, I don't know what the percent is from your you know, if you, if you were to move over the endpoint, you've kind of have a step where you've maybe gotten rid of what's around. But if you're doing it all in there, you might have residual. Is that a concern? Or? Well, I think I think in every uh, application, um, having in particular residual undifferentiated um, ES or IPS cells is a major concern. Um, I think for uh, translating this technology over to uh, clinical trials and human health, uh, that would need to be explored uh, much more than we've done in the lab. Um, so, so it definitely is a concern. But what I can tell you is that... Um, uh, about 95% of these cells are pancreatic in nature, uh, meaning they express uh, PDX1 or chromogranin, which is a pan-endocrine marker. Um, we have about 5% of the cells that are not um, that are not uh, characterized. We do routinely look for markers of ES and IPS cells, in particular OCT4 and ANOG, um, and we have not actually seen that in any of our differentiations. But uh, I would not be comfortable in saying that for if I had to put in to a human, um, and somebody twists my arm about this, that we're 100% clear of that risk. Right. And so what are you using to induce uh, the pancreatic cell type? Uh, Is it BMPs and... Yeah, well, so uh, there, there's many different approaches that um, our lab has tried taking, including uh, growth factor small molecules, uh, co-culture with other cell types such as endothelial cells, and um, also transgenic means or modified RNA. We actually found, um, which is quite quite uh, nice for us, that using growth factors and small molecules, activating and inhibiting uh, actually just known pathways that are n- known to be involved in pancreatic development was sufficient. It was just... Uh, 
doing the legwork to mm. figure out um, like what actual combination of factors were imported or not. And so right. for this, we actually ended up um, looking at about 70 uh, different compounds and about 140 different combinations wow. uh, to settle on a the protocol wow. that's, again, it's not, I wouldn't say it's perfect. We're only at about... 40% beta cells, so we think we could uh, boost that up even more, but uh, we definitely think we are um, the majority of the way there. Yeah, it's not only what you deliver, but when you deliver it, too. Mm-hmm. So, exactly. Uh, that, I think that was a very important concept on making yeah. this work, that a lot of these compounds are actually published in uh, different contexts, and um, it really was having the right combination of compounds on the right progenitor cell population mm-hmm. in order to uh, get the results that we we're able to see right now. Nice. So, well, uh, yeah, thank you. Is for this uh, work going to be published soon? Or uh, yeah, we've actually already submitted it and got some reviewer comments. So we're okay. hoping to do a resubmission uh, maybe next week or the week after. Nice. Next. Well, and, hopefully um, when it's out, we'll have you back and you could tell us the full story and uh, full that would interview. be fun. So thanks uh, for coming by. Uh, Enjoy the rest. Good much. luck with your talk. Thank you. All right. So now we have the pleasure of being uh, joined by a former Lorenz Studer this is like member. Studer reunion at yeah, this table right now uh, yep. we got Tiziano Barberi did I say that right? almost uh, almost <laughs> Tiziano see and see yeah, alright so, let's and, uh, uh, it's good to see you so uh, tell us what you've been up to you have yeah, your own lab now so now you're in San Antonio, Texas I'm in San Antonio, Texas so since May 1st May first, so just starting. So tell people you were you were tell me about your you were you were you were New York, California, correct? New York Studer's Lab, California City of Hope, mm. assistant professor. Then four and a half years in Melbourne, Monash University, Australia, Australia. Well, For the Americans out there who are bad with geography, sorry. Go ahead. Mm. Right, that's <laughs> correct. And now since May, I'm back in the U.S. Texas, mm. San Antonio, at the Texas Biomedical Research Institute. Okay. Now, when you were in the Stewart Lab, we, we, I sort of knew you as the Mesenchym guy. Is that is that still the case? Still the case, yeah. Okay. Well, right. I studied as a neural guy yes. there. Yes. But then I, I moved to Mesenchym and skeletal muscle. Yeah, I used your uh, your stromal cell differentiation protocol for a very long okay. time in the steer lab with mouse ES cells. Does it work? It? No, it still works, man. <laughs> okay, it still that's works. Good. That's important. That's, that's important. That's still important, reproducible. Yeah. So, so I don't need to retract the paper. No, it, it no. Works. No retractions Not here. from you, but from others, I think, in the no, field. Uh, yeah, no staff nonsense here. So, <laughs> uh, so tell us what's going on now. What are you working on? Still doing the mesenchyme? Still, well, still doing muscle. Okay. And uh, I'm also working on the retina. Okay. The retina. Cool. And, and the lens. Cool. So cool. placards, but my main interest in placards is the lens. Okay. So, so similar to Sally Temple's. Sally does the RPE, and they do the which is the back of the eye. And so the lens is in the... The lens is in the... Yes. And the, but the origin of the lens is completely different. Right. So the retina comes from the forebrain. So the lens comes from the When I think of the lens, I think of the like, you know... The crystal. Which yeah. where the light is coming through, correct? I mean, it's correct. in the front. So when you make these cells in the dish, it's not that way, right? They're not at all. They're obviously just, just cells. It's just a layer of epithelial cells. It is mm. called lens epithelium that derives from the cranial placard. You know, the, right. yep. the cranial placard is thickening of some of the epidermis that they make all these sensory organs of the head. Right. One of the plagos is the lens placard. It makes these epithelial cells that then will migrate, go in front of the retina, 
of the developing retina and the exchange signaling with the retina and uh, the, the, the epithelium starts to differentiate, start to secrete all the proteins, the crystalline, mm. and becomes an, a cellular That's cool. matrix. Yeah. Very, so very the, cool. this is, is it ectoderm? Is it neural? It's ectoderm, yeah, okay. but it's non-neural ectoderm. Non-neural ectoderm, Yeah, that's why. Okay, it's the cranial plagod is non-neural ectoderm. They come from the, the neural plate border, hmm. similar to the neural, the neural crest. neural crest is? Yes, right. the same area. But the neural crest, you know, then migrates. The plagod is that they thicken, and they make all these other sensory organs, and they make also the um, adenohypophysis, part of the ear, Okay. The trigeminal ganglia, a uh-huh. lot of stuff. Yeah, the placodes are cool. The they're placodes are like cool, the and, and they're not well studied. Yeah. So they use only uh, model organisms, not even rodents, because si- since it's uh, such a early right, very structure, early. Yeah. so even when you get mouse embryos, it's already too late. They are gone. They're already specialized. Placodes are so... They're so like that's these why developmental the, centers. Yeah, it's like, like the look. crest. No, it's... Yeah. Transient and right. disappears. The plagal are similar, even earlier. But so that's why it's good to study so them with a with a ES or so IPS. So you're deriving them from pluripotent cells. Yeah, from ES and IPS. And so it's very quick to spec to get to placode. It's very quick. Couple yeah. days, right? Or no? Well, within a week. Within a week. Within a what week. are the markers for lens? Is it six three six? One or one? There was uh, like Aya, Aya, or is it EYA or something? Yeah, yeah. There are all this because at the beginning, the, this this region is called pla, uh, pan placodal region, mm-hmm. and there are all this mark area one, two, and then others. They're all shared, mm-hmm. and then of course when they start to specialize, they acquire different mm. uh, different markers. So, for example, there's one Fox gene that is actually very specific for the lens. Okay, those Fox, four-headed... Fox E3. Okay, Fox it's E3. It's very specific. Then there is Prox1. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. That comes and then it's specialized and the epithelium migrates. But in, in vitro, you make the lens epithelium. Okay. That's what you make. Excellent. So you're now back in the U.S. Are you back happy to be back in the U.S.? You were four years in, in Australia. Yeah. Okay, that's and so this is uh, the uh, biomedical research. This is a private institute. It's a private institute, yeah. and it's all stem cell or no? It's not obviously no, no. not it's, at it's all. all different. It's, a it's all different things. It's actually mostly genetics and immunology. They do HIV research. They do other things. But as many institutions, they wanted to start a regenerative sure. medicine. So I was hired together with another stem cell person to start a small program Excellent. in regenerative medicine. That's great. Excellent. That's so, great. And we have a lot of interactions with um, UT San Antonio, University yep. of mm-hmm. Texas San Antonio, University of Texas San Antonio, the health center. Yep. Sean that Morrison's is, over there, right? Isn't he? Sean Morrison is in Dallas. He's uh, in UT, Dallas, UT. Because UT is like UC. That's right. It's South like UC. There's everywhere. Yeah. Right. It's like UC in California. They have yeah. different... Each, City has its own campus. There are several campuses. San Antonio is supposed to be awesome, beautiful, and fun. San Antonio so is fun. actually a nice. nice city. It's a fast-growing city, not too big. And but a great basketball team. They just won the <laughs> just won. NBA. Probably the best yeah. I've ever seen. They actually yeah. have the World Stem Cell Summit this year in San Antonio. Exactly. Oh, nice. They've got their booth yeah. right over there. So exactly. trying to talk to these year, guys yeah, about to promote the podcast down there. Just scattered in the city. There are several groups working on stem cell. We tried all to get together and form a sort of consortium uh, stem cell research so oh. it will be UT nice. San Antonio the health center San Antonio nice. and, and us the Texas Biomed try to 
do something together. And the military, because in San Antonio there's a lot of research also ah. by the U.S. Army. Hmm. Yeah. We know the U.S. Army's got all the money, so maybe That's they can start putting some into research. Because oh, yeah, they the do. budget just got cut again. We were just reading that. What were we just reading? Like the budget, or the federal budget or something like that? What was it? Uh, Is that what we were reading? I'm, I was reading about stop cells, but uh, we could talk about that <laughs> another time. <That's> <laughs> I'm always <laughs> assuming the budget got cut. I in doubt the budget was cut. I don't know. But, so uh, you'll be here. You're going to hang out with us, grab some drinks, right? Yeah, of course. Of course. Okay. That's why I'm to here. Talk about this <laughs> podcast. We have to talk about well, this. That's why I'm here. Yeah. No, well, I uh, just came. You know, not presenting, not nothing. Just for me to be back. That's good. You're back. I'm back. You're back. Yeah, it's, you can check him out. Uh, in the Google the name Tiziano Barberi. You can see him. Go see I'm what he does. I'm actually looking for postdocs. So. See that oh, postdocs out there interested? Yeah. Yep. Uh, go check it out. Google the name. You'll find him. Go to San Antonio. Yes. All right. Good to see you. Coming on. Thank you. Okay, we're back on day two of the conference. Day two. Yes, and uh, we we actually just uh, discovered, I was just telling Chris, we discovered the first, the closest shuffleboard uh, to the conference. I'm so excited. Night. Yeah. Joseph and I are big <laughs> shuffleboard bar fans, uh, and we never find them around. Yes. And last night, we saw one, and uh, they're sitting on top yeah. of it. Yeah, it was blasphemy. It was blasphemy. blasphemy. <laughs> so we're going to go back later and play some shuffleboard. Yeah. Anyway. So uh, we have a nice treat here. We ran to uh, an old friend and colleague, uh, Shane Graylish, uh, who uh, is presenting a poster here with some... I, I saw the data. I'm looking my, at it right now here. Yeah, my mouth kind of just... Jo- the jaw dropped. And uh, so I'm going to have him uh, say hello, first of all. How you doing, Hi, Shane? everyone. Uh, just talk right okay. into the mic. And uh, tell us about what you're presenting in this poster that I'm looking at. Yeah. Um, so I'm presenting work that we're doing trying to validate a lot of the uh, human ESL-derived dopamine neurons. Uh, so what we've done is we tried to compare them to kind of the best... Uh, standard which is the fetal tissue ones which have been known to give benefit in the clinic so we want to try and make our ESLs as good if not equal to the uh, fetal tissue ones uh, so to do that we try and address like a long-standing question in the field which is actually can the cells like reconstruct the whole circuitry which is lost in Parkinson's so that's uh, when the cells in the substantia nigra that innervate long distances in the rat it's about six millimeters but in the human it's greater than that about 10 so um, we tried to see if those cells could do it so we transplanted uh, like either fetal dopamine neurons from fetal tissue into the nigra of adult rats or then dopamine neurons from ESLs and tried to compare them um, and we show for the first time that actually in uh, ad- in adult brain that actually the, these uh, uh, dopamine neurons right from ESLs can actually innervate in a very specific manner, almost exactly identical to the fetal tissue. And also the axons that we see that grow out there are indeed dopaminergic. Yeah, I mean, looking at this this image, I mean, you got like a mini poster here that uh, we're looking at. And uh, just, just know, looking sorry, at the I'm inter- quiet because I'm reading through it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, looking at the innervation of especially the fetal grafts, it's, it's, uh, it's amazing because normally we do ectopic transplantation. Uh, and this is uh, restoring so, essentially the natural circuitry yeah. of the substantia nigra. And uh, looking at the fetal uh, innervation, it's, it's dorsal lateral, which is uh, what you would expect uh, yeah. in terms of... Uh, 
what's lost in Parkinson's yeah, exactly. primarily. Yeah, that's so. the area that's needed for recovery and motor functions after yeah. transplantation. So, so Yos, explain what you mean when you say ectopic for people out there. Yeah, so, well, actually, Shane. Yeah, Shane, give us a... Okay. <laughs> please. Because I don't um, know if people out there might understand ectopic. Yeah, so like I said, the dopamine neurons that die in Parkinson's disease, the cell bodies are located in the substantia nigra and send long-distance axons to their terminal site where they release dopamine and have an effect on motor function. And that's called the striatum. So previously, for the last kind of 30 years or so that this has been done, it was thought that if you put new neurons in an adult brain, that they don't really that they don't grow very far because the brain stopped growing at this stage, so it's not really permissive for new uh, cells to grow. Uh, so that was the approach for the last 30 years, and it has been done in patients where you actually put the cells in where they like need to be because it's not expected that they can actually go these long distances and do it in a correct way. So that's been done quite well in the clinic and uh, shows like a lot of benefit on, on animal models. Uh, so that place, because it's not their natural location, that's what they call ectopic, so it's like an extra outside of their natural. So what we did is try and put back where they would normally develop uh, in the brain. We tried to put the cell bodies back there, which is then the homotopic transplant, so the, where they should be. Yes, and uh, that's the, uh, me- the uh, medial forebrain bond is that right for my old neuroanatomy <laughs> yeah, when they yeah. project up? It dips down. Yeah. It goes yeah. down and then comes <laughs> yeah, up. Yeah. Nice. Right, but so uh, we're also seeing some MRI. Some, uh, you did some MRI in some rats as well, showing the efficacy of the graft. Yeah, so in a collaboration with uh, Philippe Entre in Paris, um, who do a lot of uh, work on human primates and also a lot in PET imaging, which is what they use in the clinic to actually measure how uh, efficacious the transplant is. So in that, after six months, which is so far, well, there's not been as long survival times uh, published in data. Mm. So this is one of the longest that, well, hopefully will be published soon. Yeah, Um, yeah, it looks looks ready. Where we have uh, the transplant surviving an MRI and then using uh, clinically analogous uh, PET imaging for uh, things looking at dopamine storage and also dopamine release, we see that the transplants can actually recover uh, and kind of normalize the deficits that you see in the uh, animal model of Parkinson's disease. Yeah, actually, we're, uh, we should mention where you're at. Uh, you're in the lab of Malin Parmar. Yeah, I'm in Mo- uh, working with Malin Parmar in uh, Lund University and also in collaboration with my old PhD supervisor, Anders Birklund, as well. Yes, the god of... Parkinson's. The godfather. Yeah, <laughs> the godfather. Yeah, transplantation, yeah. So, you know, in terms of a therapy, from therapy down the road, then, was it always was it always envisioned that it would be, for a cell replacement strategy for Parkinson's, that you would be putting these into the striatum, or was the goal always to get it into the, to the place where it should go, but you just didn't understand that it would be able to do what you're showing? So the yeah. idea would be you would want to put it into the deck down into the ventral part, very deep, yeah. that would be the idea? Yeah, so the original um, the original uh, concept behind it was, was trying to, like I say, reconstruct the circuit. So do, like, you know, recreate biology in its natural location. But uh, previous studies using either, like, primary rat tissue, so tissue that you'd uh, get right. from embryos, um, that showed that actually those uh, axons and neurons didn't grow very far. So that's why they had to kind of change their approach right. and put them put kind them, of right, right where the Where they, where they normally dump, okay. Yeah. Um, but then there was some studies which shown that if you do, like in uh, animals that are just born, when the brain is still growing, that actually if you put new neurons in at that point, that they can that grow they this can. long distance. But in adults, it wasn't really shown that that can happen, mm. with the exception if you put... Um, uh, what we call, uh, if you put like human cells into a rat brain right. or into a mouse brain, then they can. It's thought that they ignore the right, right, right. cues. Hmm. Um, 
but some of my work during my PhD showed that we can using like mouse tissue into mouse adult that you, that you can actually regrow that. But it was a method of like detecting and how well you kind of look at the transplant, okay, as opposed to the host. So brain. has anybody done a side by side comparison of uh, ectopic versus homotopic? graphs in terms of behavioral recovery um there was some studies in the 90s from anders lab uh, yeah. which did and that was with rat tissue but those transplants actually didn't they didn't really get much outgrowth from the nigral transplants mm. um and they also tried to transplant different types of cells let's say like gabaergic cells mm. to try and kind of normalize the circuitry a bit um and they did see recovery in different behaviors mm. um as compared to the ectopic and homotopic transplants but uh in terms of like human neurons uh that's not been done yet um so, yeah. And and uh, are you seeing any other uh, contaminants uh, reaching as far as the striatum? Um, well, there is quite a high proportion from the ES-derived um, transplants. Uh, quite yeah. a high proportion of them are like they're human neurons. But mm. of that uh, fraction, there's not all of them are indeed dopaminergic. Mm. Um, so we've not really... It's quite difficult to kind of quantify or identify on yeah. like such a small level exactly what they are is because you're kind of limited in what techniques you can use yeah um but i mean we know that there is a large proportion of like serotonergic and yeah. gamergic neurons which are present in fetal transplants and they're not necessarily they don't have necessarily have a negative effect unless they are the dominant population mm. so they're kind of naturally should be there but so far we've not exactly but in terms of the fibers done. that are reaching uh they're mainly th yeah. fibers yeah yeah awesome this is great very very cool yeah i look forward to seeing this uh out in the community yeah thanks for coming by and letting us know uh and good luck with the uh the story and i'm sure you'll you're sending this out soon or yeah it's we just sent it out we just submitted it last week good luck and good luck with the continued work thanks for coming by very important work it's very important uh, thanks for coming by and uh we wish you all the best over there i mean you're in the unique situation where you have access to this tissue yeah yeah well that's really Um, i know he's also a very talented transplanter (laughs) uh coming from a fellow transplanter (laughs) (laughs) rodent transplanter i have a lot of respect for shane it's an important (laughs) skill i can tell you that much so uh because you know these are kinds of questions that you want to ask you want to be able to know how real or how how like the in vivo situation is it and if you don't have that tissue it's impossible to ask the question so that's why it's a very important piece yeah so uh great thanks for coming on thank you thanks Okay, so we're back, and we're joined by Liam Crapper here. And uh, yep. tell us about yourself. Uh, I am a PhD student at McGill. Uh, I work on induced pluripotent stem cell modeling of Leshnayan syndrome, which is a super rare genetic disorder. Uh, so I have a like, part, part neuroscience, part stem cell research, part genetics, I guess. Nice. Uh, where, where are you doing that at? Uh, that's at McGill. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I, I can't. Yeah. yeah, I don't remember if I said that. <laughs> no, no, you said it. You said it. So, uh, what? What bring you? You told us that you have your own podcast. I do uh, a neuroscience one. Yeah, that's right. So, tell us about that. Um, it's called On Your Mind. Um, it's a weekly neuroscience podcast targeted at people who are interested in neuroscience. I guess, like mostly people who are active in in the science. So community it's more or, science geared. Yeah. Yeah, it's less like public outreach, more science, I guess. Uh, so we do sort of a journal club style discussion of a paper, and then we also talk about like current issues in science, science policy, things like that. Excellent. And you, you told me it's it's kind of like a journal club. You uh, yeah go through a paper and 
uh, dissected? Is it just you alone, or no? Uh, it's me and two of my colleagues, um, also both neuroscience PhD students. Uh, we mostly do papers sort of in molecular neuroscience, broadly speaking, usually something pretty recent. Uh, so we did, for example, the uh, the ALS paper from Kevin Egan's lab yes. that just came out recently. Yeah, the uh, was, C9 was like, ORF. Yeah, exactly. 72? Yeah, uh, so, so that we did two weeks ago, I guess. Okay. Uh, yeah. Have you seen him around here? I haven't. Or, I've, yeah. I've seen some of his students in, at posters, but I have not seen him. Hmm. Okay, he's he's definitely around. He's here. lurking. Yeah, yeah. You're trying to. He's, <laughs> he's, he's one of the people you're trying to hook. No, we got. He I actually say, came okay, on the show and him? did. Yeah. He came on the show and did an interview. Okay. Um. So, how's your meeting experience so far? It's been pretty good. Uh, it's like it, it's interesting because for me, stem cells are sort of a tool I use more than the thing I study. So. It, it's kind of I tell my there's nothing wrong with that no no exactly <laughs> uh, but it, it's so it's interesting to be at a conference dedicated to kind of a something that for me is sort of a technique because uh, you see a lot of people who are using it for like really different things mm. and then a lot of people who are like really into the basic biology of the stem cell and like it's it's such a there's such a depth of knowledge that I lack uh, but yeah it's I'm having a good time yeah I think uh, you know there's another good place to go to is uh paul knopfler's blog have yeah. you been there yeah i have um, yeah really good it's a good way to keep on top I, of things i like to go to i go to this meeting and then i go to the sfn society for neuroscience meeting that way i get mm. i get both sides i get i get to hear the information about the tools yeah and then i get to hear information about the context of the disease and such uh this year that's in washington dc we have a baby crying across from the booth right now <laughs> just in case that's coming through the microphones it's not me uh no it's not you um, so let's see. Anything else you'd like to to add? Um, I mean, about stem cells, about about life, about anything else? You got geez, a rant? You want to complain? I don't. About? I don't know. Uh, I complain. I complain a lot on my own podcast. You can. I'm the the complainer there, so you can l- hear me do that. So can I want. can I complain and rant about you not wanting to rant? <laughs> <laughs> you can. I mean, I just. I don't know. I I don't have anything. No, that's okay. Uh, anything that's okay. like wrapped up right now? That's you okay. Know? Well, for any of our listeners out there, go check out go check out uh, Liam's podcast. Yeah, on uh, your mind, on your mind.ca or find it in iTunes. Cool, okay, man. Great. Well, thanks for awesome. stopping by. Enjoy the rest thanks of your conference. Thanks for having me. Good no luck, problem. guys. Okay, so uh, we found our big fish here. I feel like Ahab or what is it, Jonas? <laughs> Jonah? And <laughs> we got the yeah, whatever. Sure. Yeah, we found our uh, our big fish here. Uh, we got Dr. Roger Barker here. Um, Tell us about yourself, uh, Dr. Barker. I, I've, I've known you for a few years now. You're sort of like uh, the MD in charge of all the transplantations uh, for Parkinson's disease. If I have any questions, I come to you. So uh, yeah, tell, well, us, tell us where you're at and what you're doing. Well, that's very kind. Yeah, I'm a neurologist who uh, works in Cambridge in the United Kingdom. So I study lots of patients with uh, degenerative diseases, Parkinson's disease and Huntington's disease, and also run uh, clinical research around that and basic research. And I suppose the overarching theme of the work we do in the world of Parkinson's disease anyway is to try and better define subtypes of disease, why different people behave in different ways, and then take those groups of patients and match therapies to them, including cell-based therapies and stem cells. Okay, and you're over at Cardiff, correct? Uh, Cambridge. 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 Begins Sorry. with C, but they're I in slightly close. different places. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I never... So how, how... I mean, in a, I guess in a short... If you can explain this. How... Ha- 
heterogeneous is a disease like Parkinson's disease? I mean, symptomatically, what, what, what is what, where where is it? Is it is it the way they present? Is it the way it progresses? Is it all those things when they appear symptomatic? I mean, how, well, you know, you're saying heterogeneous, yeah. heterogeneous in disease. You know, explain that a bit. Well, I mean, we've taken the approach with it that uh, essentially what we try to do is collect everyone with Parkinson's disease in a given area of a given uh, period of time. So in our particular experience, we took the county of Cambridgeshire. Uh, we collected everyone with Parkinson's disease in uh, 2000 and 2001, and we followed them to the present day. And what you learn from that is that people superficially look the same, but actually uh, if you follow them over time, some of them do very badly and some do very well. Okay. And, and so, for example, the people who do badly are the people who dement. And if, in our study, when you presented in 2000, 2001, you're over 72, you couldn't produce a list of more than 20 animals in 90 seconds, you couldn't draw interlocking pentagons, uh, if you couldn't do that, your chances of being demented at five years were 88-fold greater than people who are younger and could do those tests. Huh. So basically, this means that this group of patients have a different disease to the younger ones who, who se- seem to do better. And now we've started to understand there are certain genes which, which predispose you to, to getting these different forms of Parkinson's disease. So we would say that you can look at people when they present, and there are clearly two forms. There are people who are going to do badly, dement early, and there's a younger group who are going to do well. Okay. And superimposed on that are certain genes. So, for example, there's a gene for a thing called Gaucher's disease. If you get one of those genes, your chances of being demented in our population is 100% in 10 years. Every single person will get it. Oh, boy. So um, you're also the London arm of this uh, G-Force uh, program, can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, this seems to be like the superheroes coming together. I, I yeah. like I like the term G force. Yeah, G force <laughs> wasn't my wasn't my thing. It's like global force. The it's global like, force. Yeah. Yes, it's like the A team. You know? Yes. So, so this came about because we decided, and uh, when we were doing our fetal transplant trial in Pogsies, which is something I coordinate in Europe called TransEuro. One of the things we'd learned en route was to try and get together groups who'd, who'd worked on fetal transplants over the previous 20 years, understand what they'd learned, how we could work together and move forward in a consensus. So we decided that it would be good to do something similar with stem cells. And so since there are very few groups around the world who work on making dopamine cells for Parkinson's disease from stem cells, we thought it seemed sensible to get those groups together because all the problems that people would have would be the same whether in you're in New York, right. the UK or Japan. So we set about trying to get all the groups who, were, uh, who would be useful for that. So there are groups in Europe. Uh, there is the groups in New York with Lawrence Studer. Uh, we've got the California Institute of Regenerative Medicine. Even though they don't have a group, they obviously have a lot of funding and are pushing that. And the groups in Japan who obviously works a lot around iPS cells. Is that Jun Takahashi's group? Yep. Okay, yep. great. So we, so we got uh, all of those people together in uh, May in London, and the idea was really to say, well, where's your program up to? Where are you going? Mm. What are the questions you're asking mm. yourself, and how can we do a clinical trial? And that's that we hope is something that we'll meet on an annual basis to take that forward. See, that's, that's really nice because you hope that the endpoint goal should be shared. Yeah. And it's nice to see that you can get a group of those people all together in one room and openly discuss the progress because in the end... That's what you want, right? You want to make progress. And I like to hear that people are, do, are willing to sit in a room. Because, you know, a lot of time, especially academics, are being very closed about their work. And this is not for them. This is for the patients. So it's very, that's very cool to hear that people are willing and, uh, to be open and share. Yeah, I mean, it is a problem because, of course, one of the things in Europe, which we do a lot of, is we have this European funding for consortia. So you have to, you have to work together with, you know, several other groups. 
it creates problems because obviously you have to be very open. You have to trust those right. people. And, of course, it depends where you are in your career. So if you're relatively well-established, it's less of an issue than when right, you're trying to establish your career. But it does rely on a degree of uh, sort of trustworthiness and, and honesty and and trusting others. And one of the nice things about these groups is I think we're not interfering with people's research. So what Lawrence wants to do in New York, Lawrence wants to do in New York. What's mm. useful to know is, is what he thinks are the key questions, what he's trying to solve. And we say this is what we think the problems are. And you're absolutely right. Ultimately, if you want to take them to the patients, there are going to be common regulatory problems. Right. There are going to be common criteria we all need to, right. to run by. And ultimately, one of the things which has caused the field to be difficult is that people go off and do their own thing then the whole field gets tarnished mm. by what they do. And you get this idea that everyone's going for gold, and it's not really the patients, right. it's them. So at the end of the day, it's not that I've cured the patients, it's that so-and-so's cured the patients, right, and right, that's right. the wrong way around. Yep. And uh, finally, I, w- at the end of the every podcast, we sort of ask a where's the beef question. And with this G-Force, it, it seems, uh, do you think the, the Japanese are going to be the first to put uh, human ES-derived neurons into people? Uh, I think they will be the first to put stem cell-derived dopamine cells into people, but I think they will be iPS cells. I don't think. Yeah. I think they're going down the iPS line because that's what they've invested in. They obviously have a, a rich history in that area. They right. discovered mm-hmm. them. Uh, personally, I have problems with the idea of using iPS cells from patients as the source of cells to transplant. I think the ES cells have an advantage because they don't have the same genetic make up as the patient's own cells which gave them the disease in the first place mm. so I, if i was looking at my crystal ball i think the japanese have said they're going to go for an ips trial next year in people with parkinson's disease i would think from the north american european perspective we will probably be thinking about doing an embryonic stem cell dopamine derived transplant trial in about three or four years time so that's interesting so you actually so you think that those grafted those grafted neurons then would presumably get sick again does that be the idea there's no, well, well, uh, from yeah. the ips you know they, they yeah. would be, i guess because there's really no long-term human data right so you yeah. don't really know that, that no that. i mean what we know is if you use fetal tissue so you just transplant fetal tissue into the brains of people with Parkinson's, they acquire a pathology right. mm-hmm. we also know that people are growing lots of ips cells from patients with normally genetic forms of Parkinson's to study the disease pathology in the dish in those patients with the expectation they'll develop a pathology, especially if they're stressed. So if you take all of that to its sort of logical conclusion, you're putting cells from a patient, which you also want to study in the lab to show a disease right. pathology, put them in a brain where there's a lot of stress uh, for a condition which we know can induce a pathology in a fetal cell. So mm. there is every risk that those cells will develop the pathology. It won't happen quickly. But it seems to me if you've got a better alternative, namely embryonic stem cells, why not go with those? So you would rather have immune-matched patient lines uh, for a a specific patient or go with the, uh, you know, the immuno... camping yeah. down the immune system well i see i think the immunology of this is unresolved but i would say that the immunology of fetal tissue is such that you can transplant it and it'll survive after a year of immunotherapy yeah. embryonic stem cells i would imagine are not going to produce uh, any more of an immunological response than fetal tissue once they're differentiated and so i think uh, whilst it's not matched in the same way as ips because it comes from the patient mm. i don't think the immunology is the game changer here. i don't think that's what's going to determine whether these cells work or not okay very interesting. Well, thanks for talking with us. Yeah, thanks that for was nice taking the time. That was a nice quick Enjoy the rest of the meeting. <laughs> Thank All you right. very much. Thanks. All right. So we're here in the third day, uh, ISSCR 2014. We have uh, some stem cell royalty here. 
Dr. Sally Temple has joined us at the podcast booth. Yes. From the Neural Stem Cell Institute. Sally, how are you? I'm very well. How's your meeting experience so far? Fantastic. This is a wonderful meeting. Just seeing how much translational work is out there, how the stem cell research is really being moved towards the clinic. It's it's really exciting. That is true because I've seen a lot more than that here than Mm -hmm. I have which is what you want to see. You want to yep. see progress towards the clinic, so mm-hmm. we're seeing that. We heard from a patient. Some, you saw patient that? advocate. Patient advocate that was talking about it, which gives it a little human element, which is always nice. Really, uh, really important, actually, to hear those stories because there's a lot of good news about stem cell research out there. True. And so it's, it's very, very important to highlight it. And we Spread should also word. talk about your talk that you gave yesterday, oh. uh, introducing the connect. The corticon. We call it corticon. 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 Whatever. <laughs> it's yeah. whatever you want. Yeah. And uh, that's coming out in Neuron soon, yeah. correct? Yeah. So this yeah. is a collaboration between my lab and Chris Fasano's lab. I know that guy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the, the, ma- the man on my right. And also with the Allen Brain Institute. Yes. So we work with the fantastic researchers there as well and put together a temporal transcriptome for the development of the human cerebral cortex in a dish from human embryonic stem cells, differentiating them, which takes a long time, mm-hmm. and then taking samples at different time points sequencing them so we understand what genes change expression through that time course. We're really trying to build a map of how the human cerebral cortex Mm. forms so that we can understand normal development but also diseases that affect the cerebral cortex. And they include major diseases like autism and Alzheimer's. And Yeah, you know, uh, looking at the talk, I thought it was fascinating that you had the... uh identity of the medial prefrontal cortex in the dish. And I was wondering, do you guys have plans on expanding that, say, add a little sonic to ventralize or some dorsal or hind? I mean, this seems like a very specific... To get the different regions. Mm -hmm. uh, ...transcriptome that you've isolated. Mm -hmm. But are you guys plan on uh, patterning other regions of the brain for this transcriptome? Yeah, we'd love to we'd love to do that and trying to do that in a rational way. That's one of the things that we're working on right now so that we can look at different areas. Yeah. Very important I mean, because the, you want to get the connectivity, yeah. right. you want to see the interactions. I think that was the real key for that study. It was the real first time. I don't think it was the first time someone maybe has made the prefrontal cortex, but it's really the first time that someone was able to I show that what we had was that yeah you know we had that tool because of the allen brain the allen and that brain. was really important i think nowadays with more of that data we should be able to mm-hmm. find out the well, map you know of where i'm a big are. fan i have spent many a nights on that website <laughs> <laughs> if i ever met paul allen i'd give him a hug yeah it's uh, uh, sure i know sally spent some time on that on oh that, yeah on that yeah i'm too. the little hot spot in albany yeah. new york that's me <laughs> glowing um, in the upstate uh, new york there we are on the allen brain site so yeah. i guess quickly sally it will be assume her duties as the the new vice president of ICCR mm-hmm. probably after this meeting. So you're on the board currently, and you'll mm-hmm. now have that new role. So quickly, I guess, um, are you excited about that to, to help ISSCR keep moving forward as the leader uh, in the stem cell world? Absolutely. You know, I think that with the biggest meeting, it is the place to be to get everybody together and share ideas, communicate, network, find jobs, 
Um, and so we continue to build that and we continue to bring in different constituencies. And so seeing, say, clinician scientists come in, um, looking at the people that are interested in moving the cells forward from excellent basic mm -hmm. research right down through to the clinic. It, you know, we're building and it's exciting to see the society growing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, do you think it's almost SFN? levels no. no i hope not that's Where a 30 some odd thousand people <laughs> maybe stem cells will get there but how, how big is this conference Ten thousand? no how big? so this one is so we have about four thousand members um the vast majority are here um we have continued to grow over the years and we're a relatively young society True. but the the trajectory of growth is impressive, yeah. and uh, we're we're going to Stockholm next year. Stockholm, Sweden. So we should engage a lot of of the Europeans, and it's so important the the I in ISSCR, the international <laughs> yeah. element. In there is so much effort to continue to reach out and incorporate people from all over the world, and um, that's one of the real pleasures of of being here. Cool. Well, thank you for stopping by. Oh, you're welcome. And enjoy the rest of the uh, the conference. We will. And uh, we will talk to you soon. Yeah. Take Bye. care. Bye. Okay. So we have another guest here. Uh, this is Stefan Irian. Uh, tell us tell us what you do because I think you have a very unique position here. I don't know many people who do what you do. Yeah. Hey. Thanks for having me. Uh, so yeah, I work at Sloan Kettering as a program manager, and we have a project where we try to bring a therapy for Parkinson's into the clinic that's based on the human ES cells differentiated into dopaminergic neurons. And so my role is to uh, coordinate between all the different groups that are involved in the process. So from a uh, basic science standpoint, as well as a GMP production of, of the dopaminergic neuron cells, uh, and then coordinating that with the clinic and our animal facility to make sure we can test these cells and so forth. Excellent. And uh, how's your experience at the conference been so far? Oh, it's been quite a lovely conference, I have to say. I, I really, I think the, there's a clear trend of people thinking more and more about clinical translation of their projects. Uh, it's it's much more of a topic than it yeah. used to be in, in in the previous conferences I've had I've attended. So I think it's uh, it's 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 going in the right direction here. Yeah. You know, we just had Sally come on, Sally Temple, and she said the same thing. She said that she felt that there was a a clear focus, like more of a clear, more of a Focuser, it, it comes up a lot more, the translational side, which is great because it's what we're trying to do. So exactly. going along that, that's really what you're, what you're involved in, So, which is really cool. You're involved in helping translate, be involved in managing each step. Correct. So, you know, in, a, in the short way that you could, tell everybody a little bit about, you know, how is that process, managing, you know, taking a discovery and getting it out into, into ter as a therapeutic? Yeah, so it's 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 a, it's a process that not many academics are used to, and uh, so I I previously worked at a biotech company where you can, at some levels, do something like this a little bit easier because everybody sits in the same boat and has the same mission. While if you're trying to coordinate between six or seven academic groups, uh, there's still you know different interests. The postdocs obviously want to publish their papers and so forth. So sure. that's a little bit more challenging. Um, but overall, I think on. Uh, what it means in academia to do something like this is to change the way you operate a little bit. Um, so a lot, a lot of academia, academians, academicians, I think is the word. Um, they, they always want to perfect things and 
to say something is good enough has a bad connotation. And <laughs> I think for, for these purposes, something that is good enough actually is like it says. It's, it is good enough and you really have to be able to draw the line at some point and say, I think this is, this is now yeah. good enough to, to move forward. And if we have something better, we'll make a version two that follows this project, um, you know, in, with a half year behind or a year behind. You know, it's interesting because Yosef and I, and a bunch of us, we used to talk about when is something ready to go? You know, when is it good enough? Because you can, you can, like you said, we can do this forever. You can try to perfect something forever, but at some point it's got to move out, but we just got to move out. So it's good to know that there are, there are people and or entities that are helping to do that because you know it's crazy scientists like you know they, they just want to keep perfecting forever and ever and ever exactly yeah and no, I, I don't envy Stefan in having to organize these meetings uh, Lorenz has a crazy schedule and uh, it's several groups it's not just his group and uh, he's very good with like the conference calls we have really awesome meetings where if you're not there you could still be there yep. and contribute. nowadays that's 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 good that's we can do that for sure yeah. So uh, great, and uh, anything uh, you think that's that's gonna come? To, we have this "Where's the beef?" question that we ask some of our guests. Uh, do you do, where, where do you see uh, some of the stem cell cures coming from in the near future? Yeah, I, I think definitely the neurospace has something. Um, I think a lot of the 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 areas where where cures will come from is where there's some evidence that maybe not a stem cell product but maybe a fetal type cell has shown some level of efficacy and safety and people are capable of making these type of cells uh, in a petri dish from ES cells or IPS cells so i, I think definitely the the, the retinal pigmentilla cells rp cell based therapies have a good chance of doing that um, a lot of the oligodendrocyte trials uh, and and I think the the diabetes uh, groups are doing pretty well these days too, especially with the encapsulation devices, which take a lot of the yeah. uh, the problems out of out of this these projects. Cool. Right. Well, thanks for joining us, and uh, hope to see you around for the rest yeah, of the conference. Enjoy the rest of the conference. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks right. for having me. Cheers. Okay. So there you have it. Wow, that was so cool. I love the live I love the live edge. You hear that in the background, like the little blubblings of conversation going on. It's pretty cool. Yeah. that was really awesome. I'm glad we got to do that, man. That was a whole that was a different different little thing there we did. Yeah, it's got the buzz, that hum in the background of a of a conference. Yeah. People taking in posters and asking questions. So And occasionally people would walk by us, friends of ours, and point at us and make stupid faces, so it was hard for us to sometimes stay stay on to it. But I hope you guys enjoyed that we're, we're running late on time so i think yos has got a quickie a little quickie rant this real is a quick. quick rant just because i'm moving right now and i just want to rant on the fact that uh postdocs are one year appointees and have hard times getting mortgages because of this and i don't know how to change that maybe it's just something we signed up for but uh as a you know new home buyer that was a uh, actual hurdle that I had to overcome and uh with a little help from my pi i uh, was able to show that i'm not just a one year employee uh, that i will have gainful employment in the future cuz uh mortgage underwriters don't like to see one year uh contract employee so oh man i like never thought about that that's yeah. right so you, they they take it for exactly what that is they don't take into consideration your previous one year block nope doesn't matter we are 
one-year contract employees. That's, oh, that uh, so, sucks, man. Yeah, so it's hard to get your life together when you can't even uh, apply for a mortgage uh, based upon that solely. So, so not only do they underpay postdocs, but they also have a problem with their term of employment there that's not really conducive. Yeah, oh, that's, so we, that's, we need a lot of work there. So that's a quickie relevant rant. So uh, on that, what do you say we end it? Yeah, let's close it down. We're a little too late anyway. I hope you guys enjoyed, and we'll catch you on the next one with Dr. Paul Tazar. Everybody, All have right. a good one. Yost, man, I'll talk to you. All right, see you.